You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Some men are born with money. Some men are born with looks. Some men are born You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. Shoulders wide while some endowed with length. But once in every century there comes a blessed morn. Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is television's most detailed depiction of the theater industry. And yes, we're still talking about Smash, the NBC series that chronicled the creation of not one, but two Broadway musicals, and all the drama that ensued along the way. We've been going back episode by episode to see how this supposed love letter to Broadway has held up over the past decade. In each episode, we're looking to find the answers to these three questions. Did it represent Broadway then? Does it represent Broadway now, and is it any good? So let's dive in and talk about Episode 7 of Season 2, Musical Chairs. Aaron, give us those stats, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Musical Chairs premiered on March 19th, 2013. It was written by Becky Mode and was directed by Broadway's very own Casey Nicola. Casey Nicola. The viewership was down again from the previous week by about a quarter million viewers, amounting to a total of 2.66 million. We saw two full original songs and two excerpts this week, which means no pop covers. No covers. No covers. (laughs) Our in-home team of Shamina Whitman wrote liaisons, Cinepamafo? Does that sound right? (laughs) I just called it It's Not My Fault. (laughs) It's Not My Fault. Sung by Sean Hayes and Bombshells, the National Pastime. Sung and tapped by Catherine McPhee (laughs) and the Bombshell Ensemble. From Hitlist, we heard a reprise of Heart Shaped Wreckage from last week and a new opening song called Rewrite This Story, written by Pasek and Paul. And how goes this episode, Mo? Well, now that Derek is signed on to direct Hitlist, Scott Nichols of Manhattan Theater Workshop offers the theater's 80 seat underground space. He is afraid that it doesn't have as much of an overriding theme to appease to his main stage subscribers, but he will consider it if stubborn Jimmy and agreeable Kyle are able to reinvent Hitlist by this Friday. Taking over the direction of Bombshell is harder than Tom anticipated. It's like Tom and Karen are speaking different languages. In the absence of any legal agreements about using Derek's concepts in Bombshell, Tom is forced to reinvent the show. And in the absence of Derek's choreography, Tom's staging of numbers like the National Pastime turned Bombshell into a sugar-induced headache. What the show also needs is to get rid of Jerry Rand as a producer. Yes, it does. The silver bullet comes in the form of a contract Eileen signed with the Marilyn Monroe estate for the use of Marilyn's journals, which heavily influenced Julia's book. In a hostile takeover, the women of Bombshell force Jerry to sign over the show to Eileen. At Liaisons, Ivy has cemented her talent as the Terry Whisperer, (laughs) but she and Terry both hate this meh version of the show and make a pact that it might as well go down in a blaze of glory. With an over-the-top version of a Terry Falls helmed number called It's Not My Fault, Liaisons announces that it will close at the end of the week, making Ivy a free agent. The musical chairs between Bombshell and Hitlist come to a head at the opening night of Liaisons, where everybody wants what they can't have. Jerry and Karen want Derek to return to Bombshell, while Derek wishes he had a book writer like Julia and a star like Karen. 
It's unclear what Jimmy wants, other than to not write a new opening to his show. Karen starts the musical chairs in motion, acknowledging to Tom that she's not his Marilyn, Ivy is. Derek also admits to Kyle and Jimmy that he believes in Hit List so much, he will even direct the show in an 80-seat black box. But it turns out he doesn't have to when Jimmy writes Hit List a banger of a new opening called Rewrite This Story. <laughs> nice. Are we finished? So it's musical chairs. See the musical chairs. Everyone's switching positions. Is that what musical chairs means? That's what I assumed musical chairs meant, that they were all like sort of standing up and everyone sort of shuffling around. Okay. So Ivy was in liaisons and now she's in bombshell and Karen was in bombshell and now she's in hit list. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Everyone, everyone stand up and move down. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I could. I didn't know why it was called musical chairs otherwise. So... Were you waiting for a musical chairs themed number in Bombshell? I didn't know what I was waiting for. I was just like, normally the the titles are a little either way more straightforward or way more thematic, and this mm-hmm. was neither. So I was like, I don't know why we're calling it this. Well, while we're here, can we pour one out for liaisons? Oh, cheers, liaisons! So before we say goodbye to liaisons, uh, what were the standout moments of the show for you in this episode, Aaron? I mean, in this episode. The one song that we saw, the French name that I can't pronounce, I liked the number. It didn't seem like a number that was sort of reinvented on the fly, like that Ivy was telling Terry Falls to do, like in the eleventh hour. It seemed like it was very well rehearsed for being so right. We didn't. We don't know what it looked like before. Mm-hmm. So it was a valiant effort to look out of control. But I was like, this is a very in control number, projecting that it's out of control. <laughs> But uh, what about you? Did you like any? Did you take anything away yeah. from liaisons? You know, I think I had a hard time seeing the trees for the forest with liaisons. Uh-huh. I was just ready for it to end. Okay, from the beginning. So was Ivy. <laughs> I am here to see the story of Bombshell and Hitlist and anything that was liaisons. I was like, okay, get me to the next scene. Like, yeah, let's just get Ivy back into Bombshell. So mm-hmm. even the number, I was sort of, especially because they were like, nothing matters with liaisons anymore. Let's do a number. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I did love. I I did love seeing Heather Lang who was in yes. the ensemble of the liaisons number. And Heather Lang is um, currently in the company of Jagged Little Pill. Mm. She's a statuesque woman. She is, um, if you've seen Jagged Little Pill or seen photos, she sort of plays the drug-induced version of MJ in the song Uninvited. Mm. So if you've seen like, if you've seen like photos of like this woman dancing like around a couch or jumping on a couch or sliding down a couch, that's all Heather Lang. She's such a powerhouse. She's such a powerhouse and she's so uniquely her. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And she's also like a little, she's also very weird. I'm not going to say a little weird. She's very weird. (laughs) And so in this sort of over the top number that felt like really in style with what I think Heather does very well. And so in the moments where you could see Heather in the number, I was like, I'm okay. I'm happy now. I'm nice. happy that I'm here. I came for the Ivy Lynn and I stayed for the Heather Lynn. <laughs> nice. What a review. Okay. So let's talk about Bombshell and Tom's direction. Ooh, it was a doozy. <laughs> He's not a good director. No. 
Uh, he's okay. I mean, this was definitely the episode where we where we sort of see him horribly get his sea legs. But so watching him sort of flounder in this room in this job that he's never done before, it was painful, yo. And it didn't really seem like he had any allies in the room. Everyone just sort of like let him stand in the middle, you know, like Julia wasn't really helping him out and Eileen wasn't really helping him out and Karen wasn't really helping him out. They were all just sort of like, yeesh. Oh, and Bobby wasn't helping anything, just standing in the window. Did Tom just give Karen a line reading? (laughs) (laughs) That. Bobby says to Jessica. When that happens, because he did. He straight up did. I was looking down, writing another note, and I looked up and I said, no. (laughs) No. So yeah. why are t- line readings taboo? Because it's because it's not directing. Because it's not directing. At least in in the form that actors appreciate. Because it's basically telling actors exactly how to do something instead of allowing them the freedom and creativity which we thrive on to develop it ourselves. It's not the mark of a skilled director. Right. It's this performative like you do it better than i do so you just do right (laughs) and that's the second thing we see we see tom say to karen let me be you oh god he's trying to explain how to do some choreography my second look up to the screen i was like (laughs) no and that's when i that's when i texted you saying kill me now (laughs) a skilled director will possess the tools that will allow him or her to guide their actor to what they want ultimately, but they're also able to allow their actors the creativity and the collaboration to develop something new. If you hear words like let me be you and line readings, that collaboration is gone. Do you think Tom has a strong vision for Bombshell? No, no, not even a little bit. Not even remotely. Because, And that's I think that's also where it's hard to watch him as a director because... I don't see it. Do you see it? I think Tom has a vision for the show, right? He's saying, I want to go with the sort of big glam version, not the darker version in the rewrite that Julia did with the dramaturg. I guess, but what does that entail story-wise? Like, he doesn't have... I guess that's a better vision. Like, he has a vision for the show. He doesn't have a strong vision for the story of the show. Like, he can't can't back up his thoughts about... about what he, where he wants to go with the show. Like, we watch him bargain with Julia about this mom scene that we, I guess, we will see eventually. But Julia's here giving concrete reasons why it should be in the show. Mm-hmm. Tom apparently disagrees with those, but instead of disagreeing with them, he's like, because I love you mm-hmm. and because you want this, I'm going to put this back in the show. Not because it's best for the show. Yeah. Those are the interactions that I've seen him have with the show itself that I'm like, you're not here as a as an expert storyteller. You're here as a theater fan who wants to see what he wants to see. Mm, he's the Kyle of Bombshell. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> so let's say goodbye to Bombshell, just like Karen. Oh. Karen's Karen's journey with Bombshell comes to an end. To Karen Cartwright as Marilyn Monroe. We're doing a lot of pour outs today. Yeah. Okay, um, I see why it's called musical chairs now. Okay, fine. I got you. <laughs> did it feel like the right decision to you for Karen to leave Bombshell? It's not. It's unrealistic, but it's nice. It was a good moment. 
I know it's such good TV. It is a good, it is good TV, and I will say like it's the most mature thing that I feel like I've seen her character do thus far in this season because she's able to recognize that her director is gone and this new director has a vision with someone else and always has. And so she's like, I'll bow out. This is Ivy's time, which I think is respectful. Respectable. Yes. So that being said... Karen's behavior is totally aspirational. Like this is not real. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you yes. would ride it. You would ride it out. You, you'd be like, nope. Where there already there is already production happening. We've already taken production photos. We've already done press interviews. Costumes have been made. Tens of thousands. You know, then the show is booked. The Belasco. We're moving in, people. Uh-huh. Like there is so much cash that has been spent at this point. Oh that yeah, you can't just like pick up and leave. Oh yeah, it's it, it's definitely this. This idealism, because she, she the, throughout the entire show, she has been she has been Iowa. She's been the idealistic artist that moved to the city and values her morals over what New York makes all of us into, right? <laughs> and so I think that's the interesting aspect of Karen is that God, I wish I could be comfortable enough to quit my Broadway debut star turn to do something that I believe in. Okay, so Karen is moving into Hit List, and as part of that move, we get a new opening number to Hit List, Rewrite This Story. Yeah. Is Rewrite This Story a good opening for Hit List? Yes. Yes, because of the journey that our characters make over the course of this episode. What do I mean by that? They learn what goddamn storytelling is, because (laughs) what made me crazy... During this episode is watching, surprise, surprise, watching Jimmy <laughs> not understand. For as much as you love Jeremy Jordan, you hate Jimmy Collins. I despise you Jimmy Collins. hate Jimmy Collins. I truly do because it's, and maybe it's just like the privilege of it all. I don't know. But like watching him fight tooth and nail to not include the theme of his show in his show and just expecting people to be like, I mean, they get it. I'm like, no, they don't. That's the problem here. Thank God for Jesse L. Martin taking them to school over what storytelling is. Guess what? We need your theme, bro. And so we get to watch all of these people, Derek included, be like, hey, I have an idea. Tell the audience what your show's about, and then maybe you'll have a show. Yeah, I don't quite know what Jimmy likes other than drugs and Karen sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, and that's what's... He likes drugs and he likes Karen, and again, thinks his work doesn't stink. Smash has not given us a realistic enough reason for Jimmy to want to put hit list in commercial theater. Yeah. Well, it's, it's and and maybe this is us as insiders looking at how an outsider tries to break into the business and so maybe we're inevitably biased. But no, I love I love an outsider coming into the business. Okay. I think that I think that's fantastic. But outsiders breaking into the business, they want to break into the business, Yes. right? They're not dragging their feet. If you're going to go on this journey of getting your show, 
to get a production, mm-hmm. you know, whether that be at Manhattan Theater Workshop or on Broadway, mm-hmm. like you have to actually want that. And it doesn't seem like Jimmy wants that, which I don't think is Jeremy Jordan's problem because no, I think Jeremy the- is got a really heavy lift here. Yeah. I think it's the writing's problem. I think it's the care I think it's the character of Jimmy where we're meant to believe that he's this wronged individual that the world is just against. But the only thing we're seeing that through is his perspective on the world. And the world hasn't been doing that to him, at least this world that we're watching. Actually, this world is handing him everything on a platter. And he's right. still bitter and angry. And I'm just like, okay, this this I, world that we've, we, that we've fought so hard to break into is handing you things on a platter. And not only are you not grateful for it, you don't look equipped to hang. Right. And I think the intended audience for this show is people who love theater, kind mm-hmm. of in big swaths love theater, right? Mm-hmm. And so we are not going to support an anti-hero who doesn't love theater. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm just like, if you're going to be this like tortured artist who, even if you don't love theater, is good at theater, be good at theater. Because yes, there are shows and there are there is art that has broken all the rules. There is art that doesn't, like, they don't spoon-feed you their show, or they don't spoon-feed you their art. Jimmy can't articulate that this is one of those shows. Mm-hmm. He just says that it's one of those shows without telling us why, and when people question him about it, his answer is, you don't get it. It's all of this, ba- he, like, he can't defend his show when people scrutinize his show. And that's where I just can't get on board because I'm like, there are basics here that you don't understand. And I'm a big proponent of like, if you want to break the rules, you have to know the rules first. Sure. Like, let's think about Jimmy Collins in connection to Dave Malloy, right? Dave Malloy wrote Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, among Mm -hmm. other things, right? He was, the vision was so clear with that show and Mm -hmm. the team that assembled around that show that they were like, we're not doing it in a theater. We're going to have a tent and we're going to serve you pierogies and you're Mm going to sit around little tables, right? And when it came to Broadway, yes, it did break the mold, but it also played by the rules, Mm -hmm. you know? They said, how are we going to do this? Okay, well, our show is meant to be in the round. Well, then we're going to change the Imperial and we're going to make it an in-the-round space. Like, or octet, you know, octet like plays with the rules of what a musical is and does mm-hmm. it really successfully, mm-hmm. but it's still sort of like respecting the guide of w- what makes an emotional story that audiences want to go on. Yeah, because they, like it doesn't even seem if you, like Jimmy even wants that. He doesn't because he doesn't know what those are, and that's what you what I feel like we get to when everyone's asking him to make these little changes to make his story clearer. Like, have you, here, have you ever heard of Howard Ashman's lunchtime lecture at Disney Animation Studios? I have, but But, remind me. (laughs) Like, during the advent of, for lack of a better term, the new Disney order, which started at Little Mermaid, they brought in Howard Ashman to give this lecture to the animators at Disney. And his basic premise was what Broadway has figured out, and you guys have not, is how to tell a story in a musical way. 
and he goes through Little Mermaid, the structure of Little Mermaid, every single number, he breaks down and tells them, this is what music in musicals is supposed to do. And especially, he tells them the value of the I Want song, which he illustrates in Part of That World. Part of Your World. I think the original version is part of that world, and then the reprise is part of your world. Whoa, mm-hmm. mind blown. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but like, so he, he says that, and he tells them, like, this is why it's here. This is why we need this song in this position of the show, because that's how we understand how to root for the main character. Every show has a form of I want song. And the fact that Jimmy needed schooling as to why because rewrite the story is their i want song it's the opening number but it's also the i want song yeah right the fact that he needed schooling to understand why that's important means he doesn't know what he's doing here it's hard to root for him yeah and everyone should just watch the howard ashman oh my gosh if you can it's so good there are clips of it all over the internet Keep up to date with next week's recap. Be sure to watch season two, episode eight of Smash, entitled The Bells and Whistles. Are you going to know what it's about, Aaron, if there are not specifically bells or whistles? You know who's to say. We'll find out. <laughs> you can find Smash episodes either on the NBC app or at NBC.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And me, Mo Brady. There are two great ways you can be helping the Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, and the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash the Ensemblist. You can subscribe to the Ensemblist on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or listen to all of our episodes at bpn.fm. And be sure to follow the Ensemblist on Instagram because it's a wild and wacky world out there, folks. Yes, it is. All right. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.